The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Matthew chapter 5 for everyone, I hope, who has a Bible with them this morning. We are continuing walking through the Gospel of Matthew, having landed upon the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, which begins with these Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, we begin reading for the morning. And seeing that the multitudes, seeing the multitudes rather, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated with his disciples, uh, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And our beatitude for the morning, we are on the third beatitude, verse 5. Blessed are the meek. The meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, if you've been with us over the past three weeks, we are walking through the Beatitudes. That word Beatitude comes from the Latin, which means blessing. These pronouncements of blessing that Jesus Christ makes regarding a manner of living that is honorable in the eyes of God. Uh, A manner of living even that is a definition of what the citizens of heaven will be like. The citizens of the kingdom of God. And I have begged you, do not look to these verses as a road map to the kingdom, as so many think they are. So many people come to Jesus' teaching, especially this Sermon on the Mount, and they think, if I can just follow these things in my life, then I'm somehow going to make it. I'm going to be good enough to enter the kingdom of God. Not the right application of these verses. This isn't a road map to the kingdom as much as it is a litmus test for the kingdom. It is a litmus test that reveals to all of us, we fail to measure up to what God requires. You don't make the cut. And Jesus is giving this as an explanation even of the heart of the law of the old covenant that reveals the sinfulness of sin, the reality that we aren't what we ought to be. We are not what we need to be in order to be made, in order to be right in the eyes of God. We are in need of a, of a Redeemer. We're in need of salvation. And thank the Lord, this leads us to the atoning work of Christ at Calvary. That's where the Gospels are going to lead us to. Jesus dying upon a cross for the sins of the world, for your sins and my sins, because we aren't what this says we ought to be. So don't think, goodness, if I can just get a little more meekness in my life, I'm going to be justified before God. No, that's not what these are meant to do or be or be explained in our life. This reveals what we're not. reveals what we need to be. However, when we come to Christ and we receive forgiveness, when you come and receive Him as Lord and Savior and your sins are washed away, He gives you eternal life. He gives you the Holy Spirit. 
And then, now in Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Spirit of God at work in us, the new life, the new heart He gives to us, we then, and only then, can truly manifest the characteristics that are brought forth here in these Beatitudes, especially as we get to this one, meekness, and the the following. Not the means of our salvation, not the way to the kingdom, but when we get to the kingdom through Christ, or a part as a child of God by the grace of, of God, these are the characteristics that ought to be a part of our lives. These are the things that God is at work producing in us and, and through us in our, our living as the children of God, not to earn salvation, but because of salvation. The ordering of these Beatitudes is of great importance. Jesus starts with what he starts with for a reason. The first and second must precede the third. We will never come to the third without having first experienced the first and the second. Poverty in spirit and the blessing of those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Until you come to a place of understanding your spiritual depravity before the Lord, your bankruptcy before God because of your sinfulness, and then grieving over it, mourning over it before the Lord, you will never come to meekness in your living. You will never be meek before the Lord and before others until you first come to that place of realizing just how spiritually bankrupt you are and grieving over it, lamenting over it, mourning over it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then thirdly now, what we will look to for the rest of the morning, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is not an inward sort of characteristic. Uh, in other words, if, if we were to put you on an island all by yourself, we would have no idea how meek you were or not. Uh, you by yourself cannot really manifest or display meekness. Meekness is only manifest and only known in the relationship of people with one another. And so if I were to put you on an island with ten other people, we would very quickly come to see how meek you are or how meek you are not. Meekness is known in the relationship with others. Meekness is such a foreign characteristic for us today. It's really even a foreign word for us today. Uh, I doubt many of you over the past number of months used the term meekness to describe anyone or anything, anything that you, you were coming across. Like that's not a part of our, our, our typical vocabulary. So much so even today it's wrongly even gained this sort of negative connotation to where it's almost a cut down to say, well, that's a meek person. Or you'd almost view it as a cut down to yourself, a negative thing if somebody were to say, you know, you are just such a meek individual because we have equated meekness with weakness in our day and age. That to be meek means that you don't stand for anything and you just give way to everything and everyone and you, you just, you know, go with the flow and don't stand for anything or, or, or cause any sort of strife or anything. You're weak. That's not what the biblical term meek means. We need to rightly define that term meekness if we're thinking about this, this beatitude that the meek are the ones who inherit the earth. What, what does Jesus mean? What does the Bible mean by that term meekness? I want to give you a simple definition. Meekness is a humble self-control and gentleness. 
a humble self-control and gentleness, especially in the face of opposition and hostility. Not only in the face of opposition and hostility, but especially so. It's really a, a, a humble self-control, a, a control of self in, in the face of everything in life, in every action, in every conversation, and in all that you face in life. Meekness should be manifested, but especially so, and, and it's most obviously manifested in the situations where you were wrong where danger or harm is actually coming upon you and your response to that person, what it is, meekness is greatly evidenced in the face of opposition or hostility. It is a humble self-control and gentleness in all things, especially in the face of opposition or hostility. It's the opposite. We sometimes can get a better grasp of a word when we think of what the opposite is. It's the opposite of arrogance. Meek, being meek is the opposite of being harsh or vengeful or uncontrolled. Being meek is, 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 means being humble and gentle and gracious and self-controlled. It's that, that utmost characteristic that we see through Christ, even in His suffering, that we're called to follow in His footsteps. As He was an example for us, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 21-23, at the end, in verse 23, it says, Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him, to the Father, who judges righteously. The, the humble self-control and gentleness, even of Christ, as he endured the agony of Calvary, is our example of meekness, of what meekness truly is. It is not weakness, it is great power, but it is great power under control, under self-control, self-constraint. I can recall as a small child sitting in church, a small child often bored with the message on a Sunday night, not paying much attention and looking next to my mother who I'm sitting by and, and her wedding ring. I, I always can, I can remember this memory sitting in church, seeing that diamond just flashing in all the different lights in the, the sanctuary. And, and sometimes just to keep me entertained, she'd hand it to me. And I can remember just taking it and looking at all the many different facets, all the sides of that diamond as it reflected in the light of the, the lights of the church sanctuary. I want to do that with this diamond of, of meekness this morning for us all. I want to hold this diamond of meekness up in this message, and we're just going to kind of let the lights re refract off of it to see all the different many sides of, of what meekness really is, that my prayer, my hope, my goal in the message this morning is you leave here at least understanding meekness is not weakness, that you are called as a believer to meekness in your life, that you know by our examination of biblically what meekness is this morning, what meekness is. You have that knowledge of it, and I pray by the grace of God that He even begins to work in all of our hearts and lead us to a greater meekness in our living, a greater meekness in this church, even as we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, a greater meekness in your house as a, a husband, as a wife, as a parent, a greater meekness even in your occupation. Not that you, again, don't stand for anything, but you, what you stand for, what we stand for, we do so with a meek and gentle spirit, even as the Scriptures command of us. There's no better passage in God's Word to 
think more deeply about this beatitude than Psalm chapter 37. I want you to turn back in your scriptures there this morning. It's where we will mostly remain for the rest of our morning together. Psalm chapter 37. If you notice in verse 11, Jesus' words are a near quotation of verse 11. The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And as we examine the context of this um, pronouncement of, of blessing even upon the meek, that they shall inherit the earth, meaning that even on the earth and the here and now, they will have a peace that passes all understanding. No matter the situation of life, the meek, the Bible is saying here, shall inherit the earth, meaning even in difficult times there will be a peace upon their hearts in the here and now, and in the then that is to come, they will be the ones for whom God is at work. They will be the ones that God brings into the new heaven and the new earth. They are the ones who will inherit the life that is to come, not the wealthy, not the most educated, not the most powerful in this life, but the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. As we read that, even in the Old Testament in verse 11, it is wise to read the context of this verse. And I want to show you this morning from the context of this verse, we actually get a very good picture of that diamond of meekness, all the different descriptions of what meekness truly is in our lives. Let's read verses 1 through 11 this morning, and I want to just give you four, four facets of that diamond this morning. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. That only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek... All of this leading up and really defining this word, the meek, those who do all of the preceding, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Notice firstly, verse 3, the meek are those who trust and obey the Lord. That, that, that faith in God and who God is and all His glory and all His might and hear me and all His sovereignty is the foundation by which any person can ever ever imagine being meek in this life. That the meek are those who understand who God is and His magnificence and His glory and His power and His sovereign care and watch even over our individual lives. The meek trust in the Lord and they do good. The trust in God leads forth to obedience to God. Because we know He's God and we're not. We know He's God and His ways are best and that our ways are not best, therefore, that what we think in our limited, finite understanding of things is meant to be 
submissive to the, the sovereign decrees of God, that what He commands of us is actually best for us and most beneficial for us because He is God and we are not. Meekness is grounded in a confidence in the Lord. That God is God and He's God over everything in our lives. That nothing that happens to us happens outside of God's sovereign care and watch over our lives. Do you understand that truth of God's Word this morning? That nothing, good, bad, or indifferent, has ever happened or ever will happen in your life that God looks down at and He says, Oh my goodness, Jesus, I never saw that coming. You, you couldn't have stopped that before it happened. That's not how God operates. God knows the end from the beginning. God is the one who's at work in all things to bring them all to their appointed end for the glory of His name and for the good of His people. He's promised this, and He's evidenced that sovereignty over and over and over again throughout redemptive history recorded for us in the Word of God to understand the sovereign work of God in our lives. Only then will we truly arrive at the ability to be meek when life situations happen that confuse us, and things occur that we were not seeing beforehand, that surprise us, that shock us, the meek trust in the Lord, and therefore they follow the ways of the Lord because they know God knows best. Worded another way, meekness not only thinks like God is in control, it acts like God is in control. So in our thinking, those who are meek, we think like God is in control in everything that happens in our life, and we also act in our, our living as if God is truly the one in control. Therefore, our trust in Him leads to obedience in Him. We, we do not panic and let anxiety plague our hearts because we know God is God and we are not. We know God is sovereign over us. We, we do not get angry and, and easily frustrated when things happen that we weren't seeing beforehand that we didn't think ought to happen or would have happened. We, we don't we don't respond in, in, in a harsh anger because we know God is God and we are not. We, we live in submission to His sovereignty. The soul that is panicking is not meek. The soul that is quick to anger and frustration over life situations is not meek. The soul that is living in disobedience before God knows nothing of meekness, is not meek. But, but when you're rightly trusting in God, and therefore rightly obeying God, the, the natural byproduct is going to be meekness in your life. Because you're trusting Him, and you're following Him in His ways. Yesterday, I was driving to Rosemary Hill Landfill, hauling a, a dual-axle trailer behind my truck with a bunch of junk that I, I had to get up there and get disposed of. And I... When I have free time like that, driving by myself, I often like to listen to messages, other preachers that preach on the same subject I'm going to be preaching on. And so I was listening to a sermon on meekness as I'm driving and crossing 21 onto 16, heading that way. And, and I promise you not, the preacher was emphasizing the same very point, that the foundation of meekness is trusting in God and God's sovereign hand. And he uttered it very similar to, like I just said it, that nothing comes into our life uh, apart from the hand of a sovereign God. And, and right when he got done saying that, my back right tire on that trailer went plop, 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 pull over, pull off the side of the road. And I just kind of smiled. It was like, <sighs> I got out, I looked at it, it shredded to bits. And then I look at where the spare tire is supposed to be on the trailer. 
And there's no spare tire there. And I couldn't help but just smile and laugh. That like, God, you're testing my meekness right now. And I am, I am being shown that I'm still a work in progress because I was planning on that being a quick trip up there and back. And now I don't know what to do or who to, I did know who to call. And I, I tried to text both of my brothers. And for some reason, they would not respond to me. They just disappeared off the face of the earth. But my brother in Christ, Jeremy Blank, thankfully came and, and brought me a tire, and we got it fixed, and I, I went on my way. But to even reflect upon that situation, upon that flat tire, hindsight, like looking at it and thinking, God, why? Something as silly as that, but we may ask God why, and we don't know why. Uh, perhaps God saved me from the semi that was pulling out a mile down the road. I don't know. You don't know either. It's all hypothetical. We don't know what would have been, but God does. And to think of a sovereign God who intervenes in such ways as a flat tire or, you know, just a glance in the mirror to see the semi-truck coming forward or you, you name it, all the accidents and things that aren't good in and of themselves that a sovereign God in the end promises. You'll look back and see my hand at work through it all. When you understand that about God, when it leads to your... You to your heart trusting in Him and, and, and obeying and following Him because of that faith in who He is, meekness is the natural byproduct. You don't panic and fret and, and get all anxious and worked up and respond in such sharp anger so quickly at, at things when they happen because your faith is resting in a sovereign God who's above it all and who's got you in His hands and is at work in all things, even the, the bad things of this life. The meek trust... And obey the Lord. Secondly, notice verses 4 and 5, especially verse 5. The meek commit their ways to the Lord. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Meaning that the meek delight in the Lord, their desires end up being the will of God because their delight is God, and, and therefore God gives us those desires because our desires are rightly aligned with a desire for Himself, with a desire for His will in our life. They, they commit their ways, verse 5, to the Lord and trust also in Him. To commit, turn, turn it over to the Lord. As Jesus even is... As it's commanded, we cast our cares upon Him because he, he cares for us to take our burdens and our problems, our trials, the, the sufferings even of this life, the afflictions, the persecutions, the things that we really would rather not be going through and understand God is a sovereign God. We're going to trust Him. We're going to follow Him. We're therefore going to commit our ways to Him, our lives. We're going to surrender it all over to Him. God, you're God and I am not. You have got this. I'm not going to fret and get anxious and get angry and, and, and wrathful and, and vengeanceful. I'm, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to turn it all over to you. I'm going to cast it upon you. The meek know that God is God and His ways are best. Therefore, they turn all of their life, all of their ways over to Him. Now, there's a number of, a handful of, of older saints in this church who have been a part of this church for many years. And I won't name them all, but there's a good number of them who are getting closer and closer to being with the Lord. And there's a handful of them who've actually gotten diagnoses from, from the doctor that say, hey, there's nothing else we can do for you. It's only going to be a matter of weeks or a matter of days even. And having met with most, if not all, of these individuals and heard them say, I do not these exact words, but something 
very similar. It's been such an encouragement and reminder even to my heart as they look at me and they say, you know, if God takes me today to die is gain, that'll be, that'll be awesome. That'll be great to go and be with the Lord. And if God gives me a, you know, another week or another month, you know, my life is in God's hands. And I know to die is gain. And I know with whatever time He gives me here, uh, I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to glorify Him with every breath He gives. To, to face even death itself with true meekness. Not fretting and panicking and fear and anxiety, but, but to have a confident assurance in the goodness of God, even in the greatest enemy we face, that of death itself. It, it shows me the, it's an authentication of the truth of God's Word, of those who truly delight themselves in the Lord, those who truly commit their ways to the Lord, the the meekness that can fill that person's heart no matter what their health is, no matter what the situation around them is. What a, a testimony. The world knows nothing of this meekness, especially when they come to face the face of death. The meek trust and obey the Lord. The meek commit their ways to the Lord. Notice verse 7. The meek rest in and wait for the Lord. They rest. E- even though... Their days may be filled with trial and hardship and sorrow and burden. When they go to lay their head down at night, they sleep well because they're resting in a sovereign God. They they know the goodness of God. They know the sovereign care of God. And therefore, there's a meekness in their life, no matter the difficulty they're facing, because their rest is not in this life. Their rest is not in the the temporary things of this life, like so many try to find it in. So many people think they can find it in money, or they can find it in career, or they can find it in leisure, or they can find it in even another person, a family member, a child, a a spouse. And, And all of those things utterly fail to provide the rest that only God can provide, the peace that passes all understanding. It only comes from resting in God and in God alone. And the meek know this rest. And the meek have this rest. Therefore, they don't panic and fret and let anxiety plague their soul. They're resting. Rest in the Lord, verse 7, and wait patiently for Him. Waiting upon the Lord with patience. Meaning you're not in your own selfish ambition out to, out to manipulate situations and and out to work in your own way to make things turn out like you think they ought to turn out. That's not a meek person. We all know that person that tries to tries to do all that they can in their own power to manipulate everyone and everything to their own benefit. No, the meek, the meek wait upon the Lord. And that isn't that you sit back and do nothing. That's that you're actively trusting. You're actively obeying. You're actively delighting yourself in the Lord. You're actively resting in the Lord. And therefore, you wait for Him. You wait for Him to intervene. You wait for Him to intercede. You wait for Him to shut the door or Him to open the door before you and your own selfish ambition work to make a bigger mess of it than it was before. Rest in the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Let God be God and realize you are not God. Notice fourthly, lastly, verse 8, and we'll conclude. The meek entrust justice to the Lord. 
hope you've gotten all of these as we're walking through them, but they all, they all ultimately sort of lead up to this one because this is the greatest manifestation of true meekness. It's the greatest evidence of true meekness in a person's life when they actually entrust justice to the Lord. Now hear me, God has ordained government as an enactor of justice. Government does have that responsibility to punish evil doing and to promote good doing, and they are an authority over you and me. But God has not given that responsibility to the individual. You are not one who is supposed to, I'll break justice down into two words for us, vengeance and vindication. Vengeance and vindication. Those sound like bad things, but they're actually really good things. Vengeance is right punishment for wrongdoing. Right? Vengeance is a part of true justice. That there ought to be punishment for wrongdoing. And it's easy to look at others and see that, but we especially know it when the wrongdoing is done to us. Vengeance is repayment for the wrong that was committed. That is a good thing. That is uh, something we rightly ought to desire. True vengeance for wickedness, for wrongdoing. Vindication is when one who has been accused or falsely accused or blamed is, is vindicated, has been shown to be just, to be right. You ever been slandered before? Spoken wrongly of and it's not the truth and there's something within you that just wants to rise to your own defense and, and, and just shout to everybody how right you really are. There's a goodness in that, but hear me, hear me, hear me. There's a great, great danger in that. Because you are not one who is called to enact justice in this life. You have not been authorized to be judge over this world. But God is, and God will, and that is His promise to us. God will bring vengeance, and God will bring vindication. How is it possible to be meek when someone is doing you wrong? We find the answer in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 19. I'll read it to you, but write that down if you struggle with with having a sort of vengeance against people for wrongdoing. Um, Things they may do, things they may say, especially if it's against you personally. Romans 12, 17 through 19. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. You're not called to to avenge the wrongs that are done to you. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. God promises he will repay. God declares Vengeance is mine. I am judge to whom all will stand accountable someday. And sometimes God says you reap what you sow, and he brings a little bit of vengeance in the here and now for that person, but sometimes he doesn't, but he promises there will be a day, there will be a day of recompense, a day of retribution, a day of judgment where they will stand accountable for the action, and God will be judge. God will bring vengeance. I promise you God will do a better job of it than you will. I promise you God will not sin when He enacts vengeance upon the wickedness and the wicked doers of this life. We're not to be filled with fret and anxiety. Go back to verse 8, that we're to cease from anger and forsake wrath. 
and, and that's in regards to the wicked schemes, verse 7, of the wicked doers that come to pass and seem to prosper in it. He says, don't, don't get worked up in a tiz over it. Don't get, be quick to anger over it. Forsake wrath. You're not the one who is to judge, to bring sentence upon them. God will. God will bring vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Turn it over to him and let him be God and realize we were not. What about vindication? Verse 6, it says, God will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. You know, truth has a way of making itself evident given a little bit of time. No matter how how great the blunder, how great the lie, uh, time often brings truth to the surface. And even if, even if the lie were so elaborate and the slander so great that it lived all the days of your life, there is one who will reveal the truth on that day of judgment. He will vindicate his people. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore you rest in the Lord, you wait patiently for Him, you cease from anger, you forsake wrath, you let Him be the one who vindicates His people, as He promises also in Luke 18 and verse 7, Shall not God avenge His own elect who cry out day and night unto Him? Though He bears long with them, though for a season they endure affliction and persecution, shall not God avenge His own elect who cry out to Him night and day? God will vindicate His people, He will vindicate His righteousness even through his people we entrust justice to the lord and so therefore when we're slandered or when we're wronged the meek person does not respond with another wrong does not respond evil for evil but absorbs the wrongdoing absorbs it in a way not that it's just forgotten and forgiven no 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 i don't forget and forgive just turn it over to God and say, God, you're God and I am not. And you say, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You say you will vindicate your name and your people. God, keep me in a place of meekness. Don't let me try to take it into my own hands because you have not called me to be judge. You have called me to profess the gospel. You will handle the judging. It doesn't mean we don't stand upon the truth. Galatians 6, we confront one another, even in sin, but we do so with a spirit of gentleness, with a spirit of meekness. That doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth. We do proclaim the truth, even in great opposition to a culture that is around us, but we speak the truth in love. We speak the truth with self-control, a humble self-control and a gentleness, not with a spirit of vengeance and vindictiveness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want to close with the story of Joseph, an example of meekness. Maybe right off the bat, if you know the story of Joseph, you may not think of him as an example of meekness, but my goodness, is he an example of meekness for us all. Uh, Just to sum up his life story really, really briefly, as a young man, he was sold into slavery by his brothers who even some of them wanted to kill him. They sold him into slavery. He was brought down into Egypt, sold into uh, slavery there to Potiphar's house, a, a sort of ruling, local ruling official, wealthy man. His wife 
uh, eventually accused Joseph of trying to make a move on him and totally fabricated story, ended up getting Joseph thrown into prison. In prison, Joseph interprets the dream of a cupbearer and a baker who used to work for the Pharaoh in the palace. Uh, the dream interpreted um, was that the cupbearer would be restored to his place of service, which he was. And Joseph asked him, hey, remember me. I was unjustly um, in jail. I, I, I really was not guilty of what this woman accused me of. The cupbearer totally forgot about him as he got out of jail and got restored to the glory of the palace until many, many years later when the Pharaoh was given a dream of God, which no one could interpret. And the, the, the cupbearer remembered, you know what, there was this guy in jail with me way back in the day. And And he gave me the interpretation of his dream, and it actually came to pass. Maybe he can interpret your dream, Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh went and got Joseph. Joseph was given the interpretation of the dream by God that a time of great famine would come after a time of great blessing. And so they saved up, stored up in the time of blessing to endure the time of famine. And because of the wisdom that God gave through Joseph, Pharaoh made him second in command of all of Egypt. Awesome story of a lot of bad happening all in the sovereign hand of God to get him to this place of being in command of the entire nation of Egypt. Lo and behold, at the end of Genesis, we read that his brothers, uh, much older in life, now having even kids of their own, his father passing away even in this story, they they come to Egypt looking for food. They had no food there in the land of the promise of of Palestine, of Israel. They came into Egypt saying, "Can can we buy some food? We're starving. Little did they know the man they were standing in front of was their younger brother, Joseph, whom they sold into slavery so many years prior. And there came a point through this conversation and these interactions that eventually they came to see it. And they realized, my goodness, this is Joseph, our younger brother, who we nearly killed, who we sold into slavery. And they rightly trembled in fear, thinking Joseph would say, hey, off with their head, which he could have done. But what does it say in Genesis 50, verses 18 through 21? Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? There it is. There's the, the key to meekness. For am I in the place of God? It says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. Even after all the wrong that they did to him, after all the wrong he endured all through his life, he recognized, I am not in the place of God to be uh, uh, avenging, to be vindictive in this moment. And he was meek. Even in the great power that God had given to him, he expressed meekness and he recognized, I am not God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Oh, to be as Joseph in our lives. I pray in this church that we all would be as Joseph. That even when we're wrong, and even when injustices are committed, when we're slandered and spoken wrongly and evil about, and it's not true, and things happen to us that make us want to get vindictive, that make us want to reach out and defend ourselves, that we would simply turn it over to God and say, am I in the place of God? I'm not Him. I'm not going to usurp His throne. I'm going to live with meekness. I'm going to entrust to Him all of my ways committed to Him. I'm going to rest wait patiently upon Him because I trust Him. Because I'm going to follow His ways all through my life. Blessed are 
the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Heavenly Father, we come to You and we ask of Your grace, make us meek. Lord, make us lowly and humble and gentle and kind and reasonable no matter what we face in life, no matter what wrongs are committed against us. Lord, no matter what slanders or persecutions come our way, may we never respond with a vindictive spirit. May we never be quick to anger. May we always be slow, slow to wrath, slow to anger. Lord, may we, even as we speak forth the truth of Your Word to a culture that's so far away, so confused, Lord, help us to stand rightly upon it and help us to stand rightly upon it in a right way. Lord, with a heart of love, the heart of compassion, the heart of grace, the heart of mercy, not vengeance, Lord, but compassion, meekness in our lives. Lord, I pray for any who are here who have never come to Christ, may they turn and find that He is lowly and gentle, He is lowly and meek, and He says, come unto Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest for our souls. Lord, may they repent and turn and believe upon Him, Lord, and 